Today we begin a new series here at Think for Christ that I'm calling The Benefits of a Life of the Mind. And over the coming weeks, we'll be considering some of the blessings uh, that come with a cultivated intellect. Now, admittedly, much of this is going to be drawn from my own experience. I'd like to share with you what I have found to be the greatest gifts that come with pursuing a life of the mind for Christ. So let's kick off this series by considering the first benefit. When you cultivate your mind for Christ, you'll improve your ability to reason. So in a previous series, I had cause to talk about the explosion of information that has occurred over the last 30 years or so. For some time now, we have been living in what has been called the age of information. Not only is our knowledge growing exponentially, but at the same time, it's become increasingly accessible. It's become immediately accessible to any human being who has access to the internet. Now, uh, we who have been privileged to enjoy the technological advances of the modern world, we find ourselves in a very dangerous situation. Today, we have far more information available to us than at any other time in the history of humanity. And yet, we're probably far less equipped than ever before in the history of humanity to be able to rationally evaluate that information. And there's a great irony here. While massively gaining in the amount of information we possess as a species, we are simultaneously losing our ability to reason. Now, I have elsewhere addressed some of the causes for our general reduction of intelligence as a society. And if you're interested, you can find this discussion in episode four on the series titled Evangelical Anti-Intellectualism. So reasoning is becoming something of a lost art, and this precisely at a time when we need to be able to reason most. Now, please don't misunderstand. Having access to information is a good thing, but like almost every good thing this side of heaven, it can be a bad thing if it's not managed responsibly. And here's why. Truth claims must be evaluated by the intellect. They must be brought before the tribunal of the reason. So if we lack the ability to rationally assess and weigh claims of truth and fact, having access to an endless supply of information will actually make us less rather than more intelligent, since we will end up filling our minds with many things that are not true. So it seems to me that our modern society is today subject to something like a tyranny of facts. We are drowning in a vast sea of facts, tossed to and fro by relentless waves of information. And we cannot possibly hope to rationally process all of the information that is constantly streaming at us uh, in our waking life. It's just impossible to process all of this. And I think that this tsunami of information is actually distorting our view of reality rather than clarifying it. 
And what we need more than ever before is to engage our minds. We need to sharpen our intellects to become reasonable and thoughtful people, deep thinking people. And only then will we have the, the rational skill that is necessary to navigate toward the truth on this horizonless ocean of information. So what are some of the rational skills that can be acquired by pursuing a life of the mind? Well, let me share just a few of them that have been especially useful in my own life. One of the many skills of a well-trained intellect is the ability to evaluate alleged authorities. With so many voices in the digital space today, how do you know who to trust? The advent of social media has provided a platform for everybody and anybody to pose as an authority and to garner a following. And as it's often remarked today, for every idiot, there is now a microphone. In the old days, prior to the rise of social media, if you wanted to claim authority in some area or field, or if you wanted to garner attention, you'd have to establish at least some modicum of expertise in order to attract attention. Now all you need is access to the internet and a cell phone. And today we rely much less on books as a source of information and, and far more on the internet. And I think that's sad. Yet even when it comes to books, things have changed for the worse. Again, in the old days, if you wanted to publish your written work in a way that would be taken seriously, and if you wanted to have your work, uh, if you wanted to have your work carried by a bookstore, you would need to submit it to a publisher for appraisal and to have it subjected to peer review and editing. Well, thanks to online merchants like Amazon, it's now possible to completely bypass the old system of checks and balances and publish books independently and for direct sale to the public. And our modern culture has effectively leveled the playing field in the marketplace of ideas. Uh, classical credentials such as academic training, certified expertise, and peer review and accountability are no longer needed for a person to be viewed as an authority on a given subject. Instead, it seems that anyone who possesses charisma or the ability to entertain or oratory ability to persuade can today be viewed as authoritative in the wild, wild west of ideas that is the internet. And when you look around and, and take notice of the kinds of people that are most influential in our society today, actors, entertainers, social media influencer, music artists, and so on, it's evident that we have a crisis of thinking on our hands. And one of the things that never ceases to amaze me is how so many people in this country listen to actors when it comes to subjects like politics, ethics, and religion. Why? What makes actors authorities in these areas? I mean, think about it. They pretend to be other people for a living. And this hardly qualifies them as reliable sources on anything, let alone as reliable sources on some of the most important questions in life. So with so many people vying for our attention and posing as authorities, we have to constantly ask ourselves some critical questions. Why think that this person making this claim is an authority on the subject? What qualifies this person? What are this person's credentials? Why take what this person says to be factual? Or trustworthy. 
You need to develop the habit of asking questions like these. And the more you develop your mind, the better you'll become at asking them. In 2009, a couple of seismic events took place that has collectively made us a little bit dumber. First, Facebook unveiled the now ubiquitous like button, which allowed users to publicly show their approval of posts. Not long after, and not to be outdone, Twitter introduced something that would become even more powerful, the retweet button, which not only allowed users to show their public support for a tweet, but also allowed them to instantly share it with all of their own followers, a feature Facebook would give their users in 2012. Soon, like and share buttons became standard features across social media platforms, and these innovations made it possible for social media posts to go viral, attracting millions of views in a matter of hours and spreading information at lightning speed to the masses of social media users. And what has resulted is what I call the democratization of ideas, and this to the extreme. Any idea regardless of the accuracy of its content or the legitimacy of its source, now had a chance to catch social media fire and go viral. And one consequence of this has been the rapid spread of false information, as well as the mass proliferation of fringe views. Ideas that were once marginalized in society and for good reason, could now directly appeal to the general public and garner support and following. And it's no coincidence that the last decade has witnessed an absolute explosion of conspiracy theories on the internet. And as I said already, most Americans today look to the internet as their primary source of information. And most of those going to the internet are largely being informed by means of social media. No doubt you can see the danger here. The fountain of data informing so many Americans is itself poisoned by innumerable falsehoods, most of which claim the support of indisputable fact and evidence. Now, the very best way to defend against deception from bad information is by developing the rational power of your soul. Because in addition to equipping you to evaluate alleged authorities, a well-trained intellect is also indispensable for the skillful evaluation of sources. It's possible today to find support on the internet for almost anything, even the most outrageous of claims. And if you don't believe me, just type flat earthers in your search engine. Because we've lost the art of reasoning, we have lost the instinct and the skill to distinguish between a reliable source and an unreliable source of information. Now, I know this seems kind of obvious, but I feel like I need to say it. Just because you can find facts or evidence on the internet that seem to support some claim doesn't make that claim true. Before you assent to any claim, you need to responsibly evaluate the source or sources of facts and evidence that are said to support that claim. And the more you develop your mind, especially, especially by reading and exposing yourself to good scholarship and research, the better you'll become at sniffing out pseudo-scholarship and poor research. You'll begin to develop a nose for responsible research that rests on quality source material. 
you'll develop habits important to the task of analyzing sources. For example, one of the habits that I've developed over the years is to start every nonfiction book in the back with a review of the bibliography or the source material that the author relies on. Um, a good example, a book I've been reading by a scholar that I'm not familiar with. The first thing I did this week before I started reading this book is to flip to the back and take a look at the bibliography to see what source material they're using for the information that they are providing. Another good habit is to be uh, wary and suspicious of anybody in print or on the internet that does not provide the sources of his or her information. And again, when it comes to the evaluation of sources, you'll also want to get into the habit of asking some probing questions. Where is this information coming from? Is the author or speaker relying on sources? Does the author or speaker share the source materials used? Are the sources for this information or claim trustworthy? Are there good reasons to question the sources being used? So when you develop your mind, you'll train the crucial skills needed to properly evaluate authorities making claims and the sources used to support those claims. Now, crucially, you'll also be equipped with what is by far the most important skill of all. You'll learn how to evaluate arguments. An argument is a well-defined item. It consists of a set of statements that include premises and a conclusion. The premises function to prove or demonstrate the conclusion or to make the conclusion more probable than not, depending on whether you're, whether you're dealing with a, a deductive or an inductive argument. For an argument to be sound or cogent, the premises in the argument must be true, and the form of the argument must be valid. The conclusion must follow from the premises. Now, because we don't teach logic anymore as a required field of study in our public education, most of us lack the ability to recognize an argument in the first place, let alone possess the ability to evaluate one when it's encountered. In fact, proper arguments are becoming something of an endangered species, especially when it comes to online discourse. And much that passes for arguments today are really nothing more than kind of dressed up assertions. There's an abundance of claims out there, very few arguments for them. Now, often when people actually do try to present arguments, what they actually do instead is merely pile up facts or factoids, as if the pointing to facts is somehow an argument in itself. I see this happening all the time. Merely presenting facts is not the same as making an argument. Just because my bucket of facts is larger than your bucket of facts doesn't mean that my position or my idea is superior to yours or that I've somehow made a better case. The piling up of facts is not enough. You've got to show how those facts support your conclusion. Telling a story is also not the same as making an argument. A lot of people get confused here because they think that if they can tell a story that accounts for some body of facts in a coherent way, they have therefore made their case. The problem is that it is possible to have a perfectly coherent story that weaves together some set of facts that at the same time is completely false. Weaving coherent stories out of facts 
at the scale of global affairs is the common feature of almost every conspiracy theory. The appeal to these theories lies precisely in the clever way that they string together the data to construct a compelling story. Now, a primary reason for the widespread gullibility of our culture to conspiracy theories today is because of this confusion between making a rational case by means of an argument on the one hand and uh, organizing facts into a compelling story on the other. In the increasingly rare event that an argument is actually given, fallacies abound. There are two kinds of logical fallacies. There are formal fallacies that have to do with the form or structure of the argument and what are called informal fallacies that have to do with the content or the matter of the argument. And it's for this reason that they're sometimes called material fallacies. Although formal fallacies do occur all the time, in my experience, they are more pertinent to um, professional philosophy, professional philosophers and, and logicians. Informal fallacies, on the other hand, are commonplace, and they are legion, appearing often in the media, social media, politics, and unfortunately, even in Sunday sermons. I hate to say it, guys, but so many of the arguments people are making today in popular culture and in the church are garbage, because they frequently commit material fallacies. So what are those fallacies? Well, without going into logic here, let me simply give you the broad layout. There are fallacies that avoid the question. These are uh, fallacies such as red herring or straw man. There are fallacies that make assumptions. Here we have things like circular reasoning and loaded question. There are statistical fallacies um, such as hasty generalization or weak analogy. And there are fallacies of propaganda like appeal to pity or appeal to fear. Of course, if you really want to get proficient in this stuff, you'll need to study some basic logic. And there are some good te texts out there. Uh, one of my favorite is this book called Socratic Logic by Peter Kraft. This is a, a great introduction to logic. But let me just give you a basic rule here. The more that you interact with good arguments and good reasoning, the better you'll be able to detect crappy arguments and bad reasoning and the better you'll be able to avoid them yourself. We are living in the age of information and beneath the tyranny of facts. The ability to reason well has never been more important. And arguably, the rise of, of the internet and then social media has made it more difficult to find the truth, not less. One of the greatest obstacles to rational thought is called confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is the tendency to search for and to consider only evidence that confirms our preferred ideas and beliefs. Now, as we've seen, the internet has made it possible to find evidence for almost any belief a person might have, making confirmation bias all the more alluring and much more dangerous. And social media, of course, has made the problem much worse, supercharging confirmation bias to a level that we could never have anticipated. Not long after unleashing the like and share buttons, social media platforms uh, develop algorithms designed to feed users information based on their engagement of posts, which was and, and is measured by likes and shares. This had the effect of creating what I call information bubbles. 
social media users were sent information tailored to their individual interests and beliefs, their individual ideas. So we have in this way brought about a kind of structural stupidity upon ourselves. The algorithms that control what we see online are designed to reinforce our own ideas and opinions so that we may have the most individualized and pleasant experience on these platforms as is possible. So the internet has become a domain where everyone gets to have their own truth, a domain that brings out the least reflective version of ourselves. There was a time when a society could count on a common ideological landscape of shared ideas and presuppositions. Today, thanks especially to social media, the shared landscape has fractured into a multitude of isolated ideological echo chambers. It is possible today to inhabit your own ideological world, a world that can be almost entirely isolated from other worlds. Social media was born of the promise to bring us together. Yet today, we are arguably much further apart than when we began.